1: Next week, we will be starting a new teaching series uh, out of the book of Ephesians, Uh, taking about 12 or 13 weeks uh, to study one of the greatest uh, letters uh, written, uh, explaining the way that the good news of Jesus changes our lives, changes our relationships, our communities, changes our societies. It's an amazing work and looking forward to kicking that off next week. So please do come and come with open hearts and even prayerful hearts in the coming week. But until then, uh, we actually have a special guest today, a guest preacher, uh, Mike Park, who is one of the pastors at our Grace Downtown congregation. Mike preached here uh, just about a, a month ago Uh, uh, the first Sunday of Advent in December. He was deathly ill and dragged himself up here, uh, and God poured out much grace through his words and through God's word. And so we're so excited to have you back, brother. So why don't you come on up here, and thanks again for coming and serving us this morning. Let's welcome this brother together. If you were here
0: about uh, a month ago when I spoke, yes, I was sick. And uh, so when Duke asked me to speak again, I was very thankful, but also praying that I wouldn't be sick again. And I think I dodged a bullet this time. So hopefully it won't be as painful for you uh, this time around as it was last time. I wanted to um, preface uh, the sermon this morning by talking about a couple of things to keep in mind as we approach Psalm chapter 1. Because as an opening psalm to the book of <clears throat> excuse me, to the book of Psalms, Psalm one presents a very simple truth that there are two ways to life. And for some of us, this may sound too reductionistic. You feel like there should be some footnotes to flesh out the details, but I want you to keep these two thoughts in mind as we study Psalm chapter one. First, that this is a method that Jesus utilized quite often in his teaching. And we have an example of that in the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, according to Jesus, there are two paths, two gates, two life, two tree, And uh, there's something very foundational about uh, this that we're going to see, that we need to hear, especially in light of the goals and the plans that we're making in this new year. But not only that, the rest of the wisdom psalms in the Book of Psalms kind of deal with these broad categories and presents to us a life of a wise, blessed person who is approved of God and the one who is not. So keep that in your back pocket as we go through Psalm chapter 1 together. But let's pray together and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your grace for us and even reminding us through the baptism that you are the one who is committed to us. And even though we don't get everything right, the first time or even the second time around. Lord, you are committed to us, loving us, to show us grace. And that is our hope as we look forward to this year. Not that we got everything figured out, but Lord, you do, and you're committed to us. And help us as we begin this 2014 to rest in your character and your promise. That's not going to change. And Lord, even as we open up your word this morning, speak to us. And help us not only to intellectually agree, but Lord, to embrace and to love. Your Word, Jesus Christ, the Incarnate Word, in Christ's name. Amen. When I think about the most memorable Christmas gift, I always go back about several years to 1985 when I was given from my aunt, whom I still thank and cherish, uh, Atari 2600. Now, some of you are too young to remember that, but Atari 2600 was a cutting-edge video game system back in the 80s. And when my younger brother and I opened up the box and saw this, we rejoiced and reacted like any two boys would. We screamed like two little girls. <laughs> but because we had immigrated not too, long, or not too long before that, we actually had to read half the dictionary to figure out how to hook this thing up to the back of the TV. And if you remember Atari 2600, all you had to do was kind of take these two little two prongs and just put it at the back of the TV antenna. That's all that required, but it took us about two hours to hook it up. And once we got this thing hooked up, man, our lives were never the same. It, It was never the same. We would play our games. Again, for those of you who are too young to remember, it was basically like a square shooting a circle at another square on the other side of the TV screen, and it was life-changing. I mean, it, it was life-changing, it really was. And we had the time of our lives playing Atari 2600, but we had even more fun watching our mother play video games. Anyone watch, like, you kind of like stumbled onto your mom playing video games, like Nintendo, whatever, Sega, whatever? It is a sight to behold. And uh, in the Park family, it would go something like this. You know, our mom would come home, and she would ask us the two questions did you eat? yes. did you do your homework? no. It was like that every day but she would always ask and then uh, she would basically send us to our room so we would do our homework and while we were doing our homework we would hear I'm like look I don't know much of a uh, you know about microwaves but th- that doesn't sound like uh, dinner at all and then we would always hear broop, 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 and then she would like cry sob and well, what is going on with her mom? Like, she, she's really emotional these days. And and eventually, we found out what she was doing. While we were doing our you know homework, she was basically playing her favorite game, Pac-Man. And it would always go something like this. She would be so confident when the game started, but the moment the contraption opened, the ghost came out, she would scream at the top of her lungs. And basically, when the ghost got closer to her, she would, like, shift her upper torso, thinking that if she created more momentum that way, that her little figure will go faster, right? And, and that thing brought joy to our family for a long time. The last time I saw one of these things, it was at the American History Museum right here in Washington, D.C. Like few buildings, you know, from uh, the dinosaurs, basically. And I'm sure you have your stores too, don't you? Remember that thing that you couldn't live without? that thing that was going to complete you and make you happy. Maybe it was a degree, career, relationship, or any number of material things, like a house or a car, outfit, whatever. But it's scary how quickly our treasures become trash. It's a vicious cycle of anticipation and disappointment. In fact, the best part of all this is the anticipation of the next best thing. And we somehow buy into the idea that the next best thing will hold all the answers to what our heart really longs for. And you don't have to be a Christian to know this. You may be a non-Christian here today to check out the Christian faith. And you're looking ahead to 2014 with all these dreams and aspirations to accomplish this and to do that. Well, let me save you a lot of headache and heartache by saying, look, what you're looking for is not out there. But it's right here. The very person that we're singing about, the very person that we pray to, and and, and is worthy of our praise, he is what you're really looking for. Because all the promises that the world makes are broken promises. But he is the one whom we're made for. And this is how A.W. Tozer put it. A Christian pastor and author wrote, and to paraphrase him, he said, our hearts were made for God and not for things. But when sin entered into our world, and into our hearts, that order was reversed. And we basically kicked God out, and now we are left to fend for ourselves. And we're looking for the things of this world to fill the void in our hearts, but there aren't enough things to do that. Only God can. And here in Psalm 1, the text that we have read, the psalmist says the exact same thing. He says, true happiness is not out there, but it's right here. It's in our righteous living before God. And for some of you, you think, wait a minute, this, really? I've tried this religious thing. I, I, I grew up in church. I did the Sunday morning, the Wednesday night. I even tried Christian camps and mission trips. I have tried all that. But it seemed like I was still looking for something. I'll say if you were looking for happiness in religion then of course you're not gonna find it it's not in there either you see as a psalmist says our true happiness is in a reliving dynamic relationship with God so if that is true then what does it look like and in our time together this morning we want to take three phrases from Psalm 1 to paint a portrait of this righteous person First is a phrase, his delight. His delight. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2 read, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The focus of these two verses is really the heart. You see, verse 1 is not a functional list of sins going from mild to severe like a white lie to murder. Rather, the three imageries imageries in verse 1 highlight the degree of an unrepentant heart. First, this person walks in the council wicked, and then he stands in the way of sinners, and eventually he sits in the seat of mockers. And this person slows down and settles in the very place that is the opposite of delighting in the word. And based on Hebrew poetry, you would expect verse verse 2 to read, Rather, he walks in the counsel of the just, stands in the way of the righteous, and sits in the seat of the thankful. But we don't have that. Rather, the psalmist gets right to the heart. And he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. To delight in the law of the Lord simply means to love all of God's word. And for those of us who are like me, like to make New Year resolutions, and one of them might be to read through the Bible. We know how it goes, right? Genesis, great, great stories. Exodus, even better, right? Leviticus, ooh, that was tough. (laughs) Numbers, all right, I will see you next year, right? That's how it usually works. But to love God's Word means to love even numbers, right? Maybe that's an application for some of us, trying to read through the Bible. But basically... The psalmist says, to delight in the law of the Lord is to preach it to ourselves. The Hebrew word murmur there is to speak it audibly, not out loud. (laughs) That would be really weird as you're walking down the street or even driving or working. Yeah, it would be really awkward. But to murmur, to preach it to yourself, to preach the word of God to yourself. So every free moment when your mind is not occupied with something, it runs back to the word and you're preaching the word to yourself. There are two things that happens when we delight, happen when we delight in the word uh, in such a way. First, it affects what we love. It affects what we love. Perhaps some of you feel uneasy whenever someone talks about the law rather than grace. But they're not opposed to each other. It's not an either-or relationship, but it's a both-and. And let me explain it this way. Theologians speak of three usages of the law, Uh, the third one being, as uh, one theologian defined it, uh, the third purpose of the law is to reveal what is pleasing to God. As born-again children of God, the law enlightens us as to what is pleasing to our Father, whom we seek to serve. The Christian delights in the law of God as God himself delights in it. We ought to delight in the law as God himself delights in it. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the highest function of the law, to serve as an instrument for the people of God, to give God honor and glory. And you know, in one sense, law has really become a dirty word in some Christian circles. It has taken a back seat to grace and forgiveness and mercy. But I would say law itself is good. It's insufficient, but it is good. Here, the Psalm, Psalm says in Psalm 19, 7 and following, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes, and on and on and on. See, the law is good. It is good. Why? Because it reveals who God is, his character and his plan, his will for us. And grace comes along so that we are then enabled to live out this law and make it a reality in our life. See, we don't come to church on Sundays to simply agree intellectually to what we hear from that, you know, the words that are sung about it and, and what is preached. We don't simply agree to them, but by the grace of God, we are then able to make that a part of who we are. In fact, that's who we are by the grace of God becoming. And to love God's word ultimately means to love Christ, who is the incarnate word. So to delight in the law of the Lord is to really love Jesus. Secondly, it affects what we become. The axioms are true. What we become, we become what we worship, and we worship what we love. Let me say that again. We worship uh, what we love because uh, eventually we become what we worship. In in other words, worship expresses our hearts. It expresses our hearts, but it's also the very means by which we become what we worship. It's an agent of transformation. And worship does this by giving us, first of all, vocabulary. It gives us vocabulary which then defines our identity. And eventually it forms our character by holding before us the ideal image of who we are becoming by the grace of God. And here in Psalm 1, the ideal image of, that we are becoming by the grace of God is that of true happiness. And it really points us back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. When God created all things, before sin came and ruined things, we experienced and lived in true happiness. This was what we were created for, to live in perfect fellowship with God and with one another, to enjoy that communion and fellowship. And as a result, we lived and experienced this happiness. And again, by the grace of God, we're becoming this very person that we were created to be. And this is exactly what Psalm 1 did for the people of God in the Old Testament. You see, Psalms were not meant to be simply read in private devotion, but it was actually meant to be sung in a corporate worship context. And so when the people of God gathered and sang this psalm together, they reminded one another that they are becoming this very person that they just sang about. And the same could be said of us. As we hear the Word of God speaking about Christ, and as we sing about Christ, as we pray that we would become like Christ, By the grace of God, we are becoming like him. And there's something very powerful about worship, isn't it? When we sing these songs, it really affects the precognitive part of us, in our heart, our desires. And I see this taking place with my children. I have four kids, and uh, three of them can actually talk. So um, it's a joy and a heartache at the same time. My three oldest uh, children have been singing uh, Heart the Herald Angel Singing, you know, ever since early December as they were getting ready for their little Christmas play that they did uh, at Grace Downtown. And, uh, you know, the third one, you never know what he's saying. He's two years old. He just kind of like mumbles. And you're like, what is he singing? But uh, at least the older uh, girls, they, they sing the song. And for those of you who don't know the lyrics, I'll read them to you. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconcile. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. As my children sing these, these words, it's giving them vocabulary to understand the gospel message. And as they sing this, it's affecting their heart. And they're beginning to love what they're singing about, which is ultimately Christ. And as they grow in their love for Christ, it helps them to become more and more like Christ and to be people who receive and embrace this very message. And this is what happens as the people of the covenant. If you have trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior... You can rest in the promise that you are becoming the very person that you seek to become. The very reason why you're here this morning. By the grace of God, you're becoming that. So how do we delight in the law practically? I would say learn to read and meditate in the Word. Go deep and wide in the Word of God to live with God's perspective. And again, if you are into New Year resolutions, this might be a great place to start. To remember that we are called to delight in all of God's word. And hopefully with that in mind, you'll get past the book of Leviticus. Okay? But also be intentional about what you watch. Listen, read, and think. I think the old adage is true. Garbage in, garbage out. But the opposite is also true. If we meditate on the word, not to be legalistic about it, but if we meditate on the word, I think it becomes a channel through which God really works and forms our hearts. And also, be a part of a community that's based on the word. Again, if your New Year resolution was to come to church, well, so far so good, right? I'd say keep on coming and get plugged in this community. I know worship services are good. You get to sing these cool songs and listen to a great message from Duke, and I know he does a great job. But I think getting plugged in more so and learning to serve that's what you're going to see really the ins and outs of the gospel that is working and permeating right here in this community and I wouldn't want you to miss out on that so get plugged in into, into this community in this coming year the second snapshot of a righteous person comes from the phrase like a tree here in verses three and four the psalmist tells us that he's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. What is chaff? Basically, chaff is lifeless, it is rootless, and it is fruitless. And the opposite is true for the tree. It is full of life, with deep roots, and it is fruitful. And this is the main point of this metaphor. Like a tree planted by streams of water, a blessed person who delights in the law of the Lord is fruitful in good works. Is fruitful in good works. That's why the psalmist says, referring to the righteous person, whatever he does prospers. The word prospers does not mean health, wealth, and prosperity. Okay? Rather, as we keep the metaphor in mind, we realize that for a fruit tree to prosper, it means to bear fruit. And as a result, you refresh and you feed and nourish others around you. And this is what it means for the people of God to prosper. And many of us, as we think about this new year, maybe we have goals and ambitions to to do this and to accomplish that. And, And they're all great things. But I hope that we would keep this in mind, this calling for us to bear fruit in good works as we serve those within and outside of this community that we would not simply be a church that exists for the people in the church, but even for those who are not yet in the church. So, come this Saturday. Is it this Saturday, the vision brunch? Come! Bring your goodies, right? Bring your bagels or pastries. It's a great way to serve. And we know that God will use that. He will use that to serve and feed those who really need to seek the demonstration of the gospel. And I see this lived out at Grace Downtown. I've only been here for about three, four months, but we've been so encouraged to see folks really become convicted about this very thing. That they understand that we're not a church that exists only for those within, but even outside of the church. And as they commit their time to get plugged into different ministries, to volunteer once a month. To serve the community. I see I see Christ at work and the testimonies that come from that just confirm how God really uses our good works to feed and strengthen those around us. So for those of you who have been on the fence about getting plugged in the church, I would say, go ahead, commit yourself. You got nothing to lose really. If all that we've said so far is true, then you got nothing to lose and everything to gain. And God will use you to feed and nourish those around you. So join a community group if you haven't. We say community groups are the backbone of our church. It's where life happens. It's where conversations take place. And it's a place where we can really live out what we say we believe. But not only that, maybe for some of you who are not so eager to dive in, Maybe you could start by praying for this community. You can do this by yourself at home, as you drive, as you shower, as you go for a run. You can say, hey, God, I'm not sure if I really want to get fully immersed in this community yet. I'm still checking things out, but at least I can pray for this community and pray for what this church is trying to do. Okay? So think about different ways that you can get plugged in in this new uh, year. Finally, the final snapshot of a righteous person is found in the phrase, the Lord watches. The Lord watches. In verses 5 and 6, it says, Therefore the wicked would not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord watches. The Hebrew word there could also mean he knows. Right? It's not just a knowledge, like we know Archie 3 or we know the skins, but he, he really knows us okay? intimately. He watches over us, or where the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here the psalmist fast forwards to the judgment day to remind God's people how the the story ends. The two seemingly inconsequential paths end on completely different notes. And Psalm 73, if you ever read it, is really an illustration of Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 73 is a great story, Encourage it to read when you get home. But basically, here in Psalm 73, the psalmist basically looks over at the wicked, and he's perplexed. You know, the wicked over there seem to be doing just fine. In fact, they seem to be doing better than he is. And he's confused. You know, he, I thought if I lived a life of faith and faithfulness, that there would be somehow difference. marked difference in our two lives. But he's confused, and as a result of that, he is oppressed by it. He, he, he can't get past it. Listen to his words. He says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have I've been plagued. I have been punished every morning. He doesn't know what to do with what he is seeing. The reality that he lives in. Until he enters into the sanctuary of God. And there, in the sanctuary of God, he understood their final destiny. It's almost as if God kind of took him to the verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 1 and helped him to see how the two paths end. And that's when he understood there is justice, there is righteousness, the blessings for the righteous and punishment for the wicked. And as he understood this, he realized that God is not some distant god and my faith and faithfulness is not random and arbitrary but God is aware of where I am that in my struggle to live this out that God is very mindful of me my struggles and he's the one who is actually helping me to live out the story in my life you see for the most part our desires could be concealed and our fruits could be disguised, but not on the judgment day. See, the Bible warns us time and time again that this is how the story ends. And if you're not a Christian, you're a skeptic sitting in here, and you, you don't buy into this stuff, I understand. It's not easy to swallow this. But this is what the Bible says unapologetically. And Jesus, more than talking about heaven, talked about hell. Because it's a reality. And this is how, really, this is how the story ends. And in Psalm 73, the wicked asked, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? And Psalm 1 says, Yes, He does. He does know. He knows the wicked. And that's why the wicked would not stand in judgment. Meaning they would be brought low and humbled on the judgment day. When God exposes their wickedness. You see according to Psalm 1 they're like chaff. They'll be blown away. And according to Psalm 73 they'll be like a dream that disappears. The Bible really wants us to understand this. Again... As a pastor, I I don't say this lightly. But I say this with as much love and care. And I want you to really wrestle with what the Bible has to say about this. But not only that, the Lord knows the righteous. The Lord knows the righteous. For the first time, the word righteous is used to describe those who delight in God's word. And here again in Psalm 73, in verses 23 and 24, it says, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. The Lord is very aware of where we are. He knows our struggles. He knows the mess that we often find ourselves in even after we make New Year resolutions to be this and to do that for the Lord, He knows that we're going to stumble and fall and go back on our word. Yet He still shows us compassion. He gives us grace so that we can live out the story in our life. You see, many Old Testament Jews thought that they were made righteous by a strict observance of the law. The Bible tells us that the only way that we could be made righteous is by faith in Christ. We are made righteous by faith in Christ, and Christ alone. It is not how religious or how moral we are that counts, but it is our imperfect faith in Christ that counts. And so for those of us in a covenant relationship with God, verse 6 is cause for hope, not fear. The fact that God knows us should be great encouragement to us. Not because he turns a blind eye to our mess. He sees all that. Yet he chooses to see us in light of Christ's perfect life. Why? Because we're now in Christ. And so when God sees us, he sees us as the blessed person in Psalm 1. Who delights in the law of the Lord. Who meditates on it day and night. How can God see us in this way? How can God, in the midst of our sin and failure, say that we are righteous, blessed? Well, it's because He is both just and the Justifier. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ today, it doesn't matter how messed up your life was in 2013. For that matter, how messed up your life will be in the years to come. And it doesn't matter how religious or moral your life is. The only thing that counts is your faith in Christ. And you can do that right here today as you surrender yourself to Christ and say, you know what? I will never be good enough. But if this is true, then I want to place my faith in the work of Christ and what He has done for me. And that will change everything. And as we continue to sing these songs and hear the word preached from this pulpit week after week we are becoming the very person that we sing about the very person that God sees us in Christ himself that's becoming a reality in our life and so I encourage you as a people of God to continue to sing together to sing these songs of worship and praise reminding one another that this is who our God is and this is what he has committed himself to and by the grace of God that we are becoming like him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you some of the hard things that we don't like to hear sometimes, but we need to. And God, I ask that you would grant us humility to not only agree, but to receive these words and to align our lives with what we have heard, what you are trying to say to us. And I pray for those of us are here perhaps visiting checking out the Christian faith I pray that you would give them supernatural faith Mm. not to dismiss but to receive and to wrestle through some of the things that they may have heard this morning and I pray that you would be with your children that you would grant us humility to receive your word and that you would give us faith and faithfulness to align ourselves with the story that you're writing through us so that more and more as we seek to become like Christ that you would do a work in our hearts and you would really help us to become like him in this coming year and use different resolutions and commitments that we have perhaps made to do this very work in our hearts so that this community Will become more and more like Christ collectively, offering hope and nourishment, ultimately mirroring the gospel in this community to the people here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Mike. Let's all stand together.